Olympics. Honestly, the draw card to the quokkas is the fact that they're such a rare, unique animal. You look at them and you're like, what even is that? That's the most ridiculous animal I've ever seen in my life. It's like if you take an animal the size of a cat with the body structure of a kangaroo and stick a face of a smiling bear on top. That's what a quokka is. That's ridiculous. Well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul. I am still not an animal expert, here once again with another solo episode about one of the most requested animals we have ever gotten. It is the quokka. I do hope you enjoy it. But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. In Australia, the quokka is to be imprinted on a limited edition pure silver coin. The Perth Mint is releasing only 30,000 of these coins for $47.69 each. I am recording this in the middle of September 2020, so by the time you hear this, they might be available, they might not, I don't know, but they're out there right now. Our summer here in the United States is winding down, but not in Australia. Theirs is just gearing up, so this is part of an effort to promote tourism for Rottnest Island, where these little guys live. And it's also a way to celebrate the animals which are a much sought-after companion in selfies due to their seemingly happy expression and friendliness toward tourists on Rottnest Island, like I said, where they live. Each one-ounce silver bullion coin will feature a quokka on a beach with a lighthouse in the background. It's really, really neat-looking. I will put a link to this article in the show notes, and you can see the coin for yourself. Speaking of which, go on over to varmints.podbean.com for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We have a Pinterest board that our friend Amy runs, and you can go to Redbubble and put varmints into the search engine and get all kinds of wonderful merch like coffee mugs and I don't know, they probably have like wrestling singlets, maybe they have like pipes maybe they have, I don't know pencils, they have all kinds of stuff, you you cannot believe the stuff that is available on Redbubble with our logo on it, it's amazing if you like this show please tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast, we are everywhere that podcasts are found and word of mouth is the very very best way to help us grow I don't really mention reviews that much. I don't like soliciting reviews. If you want to leave a nice review, like on iTunes or Stitcher, you can do that. I, I check them once in a while, and and they're very nice. But really, what we uh, what we like most of all is that you tell a friend. Like that's the most helpful thing that you can do. All right, with that out of the way, let's learn a little bit about quokkas. Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live? Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. So it's time to learn about animals. The short-tailed scrub wallaby is, I guess, the technical name for the animal that we are calling a quokka. 
That word quokka comes from the Nyungar language, which is an Australian Aboriginal language. That word was probably gwaga, G-W-A-G-A. And nobody really knows what that word means. But we, what we do know is how the name of the island the quokka lives on got its name. Quokkas, the vast majority of them, live in a very, very small corner of Western Australia, and the largest population of them is on Rottnest Island. Willem de Vlaming was a Dutch sea captain who first observed the quokka, and he described it as a kind of rat as big as a common cat. And he named the island Rottnest, which literally means rat's nest. And quokkas are surprisingly big, bigger than I thought they'd be. They weigh anywhere from 5.5 to 11 pounds, or 2.5 to 5 kilograms, and they can grow to be 16 to 20 inches long, or that's between 40 to 54 centimeters long, with a fairly long tail. The tail is almost as long as its body. So it's easy to see how, if you've never seen one before, you'd think that they were just giant rats. Uh, if you heard the clip at the beginning of the show, that describes them pretty well. They're they're like little, cute, just incredibly cute little kangaroos. But naming the island Rat's Nest, I don't, I don't feel great about that. Quokkas are the only member of their genus, Satonyx. They are a type of wallaby, and they look like a very small, very cute little wallaby or kangaroo. They are nocturnal, and they are mostly arboreal, which I did not know. If you're looking at pictures of people taking selfies with them, they're generally on the ground and it's daytime, but that is not what quokkas prefer. As with many other marsupials, male and female quokkas are just called male and female quokkas, and the babies are joeys. I'm going to talk about that very complicated mother-baby relationship in a minute. So if you're listening, thinking, is he going to talk about that? Yes, I am. I'm going to talk about that. As of 2019, Western Australia officially announced that the collective noun for a group of quokkas is a shaka. Kelly Slater is a legendary surfer who took a selfie with a quokka, and he threw up that shaka sign, which is that hand gesture that surfers use where they... They stick their pinky and their thumb out and they say, hang ten, dude, and things like that. I don't know if they actually say that, but it's that hand gesture. Uh, And so now a group of quokkas is a shaka. (laughs) A shaka of quokkas. How great is that? Quokkas are herbivores, so any sedges, grasses, leaves, those are all in a quokka's food box. And that is where they get all their water from, too. They don't very often drink from a direct water source. And they can also store fat in their tail in case, for some reason, food is scarce. Visitors to Rottnest Island and Bald Island, where they are also found, are told never to feed them human food, as this can cause dehydration and malnourishment, and it's really never a great idea to feed wild animals anyway, so don't do it. The IUCN lists quokkas as a vulnerable species. It would be a lot worse if there were things like foxes and dogs and feral cats introduced to their habitats. Fortunately, that hasn't happened. Most of their loss of habitat is due to logging, and that is what is making quokkas a vulnerable species. They can also get a type of muscular dystrophy, which damages and weakens their muscles and, and shortens their lives. I couldn't find any zoos here in the United States that have quokka exhibits. However, there are several zoos in Australia that have quokkas, so if you are on that side of the world, or you can take a trip to Rottnest Island or Bald Island and take selfies with them there, uh, you can do that and send us the pictures. We want to see them. Just don't touch them unless you are prepared to pay a $300 fine. 
And you want to get bitten. Because quakus actually bite people all the time, despite that cute little smiley face. Because they're wild animals, and that is something that tourists forget. And they get, you know, excited and overzealous, and they, you know, that's why you don't touch the quaka. They will, they will chomp on you. Well, I'm going to talk about quakas and pop culture and a couple other things, but first, I want to remind you really quick about Patreon. Patreon is how our show is funded, and we do really appreciate the support there. For as little as a dollar a month, you get stickers, early release episodes, and access to a YouTube video series that I do called Paul's Food Box. We appreciate the support so much. If you want to join, you can go to patreon.com slash varmints. Hey there everyone, Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often so let's talk about where we all see them most of the time on movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games Seems like people have just very recently latched on to, to Quaka's and discovered them, I suppose you'd say. So I didn't really think I would find any quakas in pop culture, but I did find a series of commercials. HBF is a private health insurance company based in Perth, Western Australia. They have recently been using quakas in their ad campaigns. And the punchline or the running theme in the ads is calling what other health insurance companies are doing or not doing a quaka shit with the word beeped out just like I did. So here's a few examples of that. Can't believe some health insurers don't let you use your extras limits the way you want. Yeah. Oh, what a quark of shit. Does your health insurer offer cover that lets you use your extras limits your way? Don't settle for a quark of shit. <laughs> what? Oh, we've got to tell everyone. Hey, Gracie! Did you know some health insurers are run for profit? Oh, what? That's bonkers. Oh, what a quark of shit. Sure is. Join HBF today. <laughs> So you can see those on YouTube. HBF has a YouTube channel, and you can watch those really cool little Quaka commercials there. And the clip you heard at the beginning of the show is a documentary that you can also watch on YouTube. It's called The World's Happiest Animal. It's a 22-minute documentary. I highly recommend it. It's really, really good. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? Well, since I am not a monster and I don't eat cute little furry things, uh, you know, typically I, I don't want to eat quakas. Also, they're vulnerable. Also, like, do you really want to eat a quaka? <sighs> no, I don't want to eat a quaka. What does eat quakas? Um, snakes, basically, are their only real natural predator. They also get eaten by birds of prey and dingoes from time to time. There are no introduced species to prey on them, which is really, really great. Usually, little furry things tend to be like the peel-and-eat shrimp of the animal kingdom, particularly when there are feral cats around and stuff like that. Uh, not so with quakas, and that's probably why they willingly approach humans on these islands. Uh, they just have no fear of humans, like they've never been eaten by a, a giant pink monkey with a cell phone, so why would they be afraid, right? But they do get uh, predated on. Is that a word? They do have predators. And uh, what they do when 
a predator comes is a little bit troublesome to some people. So let's get into that. Paul, Donna, it's me, Tove. Hey, Tove. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yep. Of course it is. <laughs> let's help you win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room. With this, the Animal Fact of the Week. All right, well, here is the thing that you may have been waiting for. I'm going to definitively answer the question, do quokkas throw their babies at predators? This is a thing that has existed on the internet for some time now. Quokkas are cute and adorable, and people think that they throw their offspring at predators. The main predator being a snake, or just basically whatever is chasing them or, or trying to eat them. It started out as a joke, and then people started taking it seriously. And the image it kind of puts in your mind is that the quokka is grabbing their baby out of their pouch and using it as a projectile and throwing it at the, the predator. Physically, that's not possible. Their arms are not that long, and they can't physically do that, not by any stretch of the imagination. They keep their young in pouches, and they have control of the muscles surrounding the pouch. And contracting those muscles is what keeps that joey inside. When fleeing, those muscles relax, and the joey falls out, and it makes noise, which distracts the predator, and mom gets away. And unfortunately, that little joey is left there to die or to get eaten. Fortunately, quokkas are really, really good at making little quokkas. So a female can give birth about twice a year, and over the course of their life, they'll produce 15 to 20 quokkas. Joeys can't do that, and so they are sort of expendable. And here's the thing. Sacrificing babies is something that happens fairly often in the animal kingdom. I've personally seen rabbits eject their rabbit baby fetuses when they're running away from something that is trying to eat them. But harp seals, pandas, and, and black bears, they abandon their young and leave them completely vulnerable to starvation and predators all the time. And I think the reason that quokkas get so much attention for it is because they're so freaking cute, right? They're little and furry, and they just don't even look like a real animal. So here are your main takeaways. Yes, quokkas will leave their joeys behind so that they can escape and live to breed again. Because that's the important thing, right? That's what animals do, is they basically eat and try to stay alive long enough so that they can make little genetic copies of themselves. So that's all that's going on there. They don't throw the baby. It just kind of falls out when the muscles surrounding the pouch relax. Unfortunately, mom doesn't go back to get the joey. It's just she takes off. And it's just a natural adaptation that the quokka has. And other animals are doing it all the time. And it's not pleasant, but that's how nature works. Like I said, we've had a lot of requests for quokkas. There is just not enough there for both Donna and I to make a full episode out of it. And in fact, this episode was her idea. She said, there's no way we can sit and talk about quokkas for 45 minutes. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Rather than give you a Rugrat Corner today, I want to read an email I received regarding sugar gliders. Now, you'll remember that I asked listeners to let me know about keeping sugar gliders as pets. And Rosa was kind enough to send me an email, which you can do too at varmintspodcast at gmail.com. Rosa says, I am new to the podcast and recently listened to your sugar glider episode. I own two and plan on getting more to expand my sugar baby colony. My two female gliders both love each other and people, but something that you did not mention about pet gliders is that they bond to one person. 
For my sugar babies, that is me. And it is best to get them at OOP, O-O-P, one to two months. And she says OOP means out of pouch, which is the only okay time to take them from their mom. You also did not mention the colors that sugar gliders can be. No, I didn't. While most of them are classic gray with the white underbelly and black stripe, both in the wild and in captivity, there is albino, which is white with red eyes, leukistic, which is white with black eyes, which are really pretty, black beauty, which is a darker version of classic gray, cremino, which is cream colored with a tan stripe and red eyes, platinum, which is white slash light gray body, with light to medium gray markings where a wild type is black and brown with black eyes. Cedar red, which is a true red. Mahogany red, which is a light red throughout. Lion, which she says is a more golden color than the classic. I guess they're more, they look like little, little tiny lions. That would be cute. These are all the colors I could find. My gliders' names are Curry, who is platinum, and Black Dahlia, who is a black beauty. They love snuggling into my shirt, and we play at night. We say hi and keep up the good work. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And she attached a couple of pictures in the email, and her sugar gliders are as cute as ever. Holy cow, they are really cute. So I will put those in the Varmints Discussion Group online. I'll put those in the uh, on our Twitter and on our Instagram when this podcast goes live. And you can look at them for yourself. They're really, really cute little animals. So we love it when you give us feedback or add your thoughts to the show. You're always welcome to do so at varmintspodcast.gmail.com. Well, thanks again for listening. This show has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo. Our bed music was by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time... Be nice to animals. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.